Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're back with your host, Auntie Vice, and it's so good to be back with everybody. I am thrilled today. One of my big inspirations in podcasting and sex work and somebody I recommend consistently in all of my classes is here. We have Sunny Megatron. She does the American Sex Podcast. She's AVN's Sex Part of the Year. She has done all sorts of TV shows. She ran tours in Chicago of sex districts, all sorts of cool stuff. Welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. First of all, like you gave such a great intro and you weren't even reading any, like you just knew, you knew even the old school tour stuff. So thank you. I feel so special. (laughs) Wonderful to be here. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is you're like a couple of my other favorite guests is that you didn't go to college for this. This was a shift in your career and has come with so much growth. So What got you to shift from your background corporate mom thing into being one of the most out open sex expert BDSM experts out there? It's a weird, like roundabout, like looking back story that has all this synergy. And like, I don't know if I believe in destiny or, you know, but it's a good story. (laughs) So originally way back when when i first went to college i wanted to i was a theater kid so you know i was like i'm gonna get into theater school did not get into theater school then i was like i am interested in like psychology and sex and all of those things i'm gonna do that and then i was like "Mm, i i don't want to be a therapist like i don't i don't want to sit in a room with people and that's not my thing so I finally settled on marketing. And the reason was, it's like, you know, like it or not, and I hate it, but we live in a capitalist society. We have to make money. So I'm like, okay, business. All right. That's a, and it was a way that I could use my interest in psychology on more of a mass scale. Little did I really realize in my 20s, I'd be using it for evil, but you know, we all got to start somewhere. So I worked at one of the largest ad agencies in the world on huge global brands, Procter & Gamble and you know, Miller Brewing Company and, and Marlboro, you know, Philip Morris cigarettes and all that stuff. And again, you know, I was like, oh, why? why? And then 2008 happened. The economy tanked. I got laid off. I was one of those naive people who thought, well, if I work for a company for many, many years, they'll take care of me. Isn't that what it's all about? Not what it's all about. And my interest in sexuality and 
just being authentic about all of the weird stuff that makes us human never went away. And I was talking to my ex-boss, who's like an ex-vice president of the company. And when I worked for her, I was like, oh, you're some important corporate. Blah, blah, blah. She one day said, F this, quit her job and started a travel blog. Like she loved traveling and food and like, it was like traveling for food. And she goes, now that you're laid off, she goes, you need to start a sex blog. You need to do this. And she's not really somebody that I sat and had these like, you know, intimate conversations with. She was, she was kind of a friend, but kind of still like my boss, you know? And I was like, she's telling me this. I can't talk about my boobs on the internet. What lost your, you know, and uh, lo and behold, I sat with that for a while and uh, boom, here I am. And it's weird because like it came full circle because the TV show happened. My first love was like, I actually wanted to be on TV. Like I was going to theater school to get into TV and that didn't work out, but then it mysteriously did anyway. And then, you know, talking about sex and sexuality and psychology, it did anyway. Uh, I also can use my marketing because, you know, we're all entrepreneurs. So it's real weird how that turned out. And were you one of the, the tried and true, like I was an undergrad psych major, like most of the sex educators were undergrad psych majors trying to figure out what the fuck was wrong with you or, and that's what drove you into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so much. Uh, yeah. So I started out taking a lot of psychology. I ended up with a women's study minor, which is now like gender studies. And I figured out that who in my twenties, I was so just lost when it came to how the world worked, how relationships worked, what sexuality was about. And, you know, a lot of it is like my own trauma and my upbringing and, and you know, all the dysfunction and growing up in the 80s with parents and grandparents that were, you know, boomers, post-World War II folks. And I'm still figuring a lot of it out. I'm 52, you know, and I, I think I figured out how screwed up we all are just because of the messages that society gives us that are completely off the mark. And they, they really, oh, there's there's so much there to unpack. So in figuring this out and figuring out all of those screwed up messages we get, and we get a lot of them. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of the things I've noticed, especially when it comes to things like messages around healing the relationship with your body and around sexuality, a lot of people doing the best work are black or uh, women who are mixed black and you know another race. And part of that is mm-hmm. body liberation is rooted in the work of black women. But why do you think at this point, you know, we're we're in the 2020s, there's so much flourishing in that community because that work has been accessible to all of us for a long time. We've been able to read it and take classes. Yeah. What's the explosion in the the black women's community specifically that allows so much of the top work to be done by them? You know, I have an interesting perspective because I am mixed race. I have one white parent and one black parent. So it's like I get to see the cultural differences side to side. And when it comes to uh, folks in the black community doing this work, 
intersectionality, societal systems and hierarchy and depression, all of that like big picture structural stuff and the oppression that's tied to it is really center stage for all of this stuff. And when I look at like, you know, my white family growing up and just in general, white culture, it's very much about the individual, about the self. There isn't that focus on systemic stuff. And it's sure it's like, yes, that systemic stuff, you know, rolls inside and affects our individuality, but we're all connected to the larger systems. And that is just something that is inherently more seen and understood and lived every day and talked about in marginalized communities. You know, white women, like let's let's talk about like just white women as a group when it comes to like the self-work. It's real complicated because one, you know, we we haven't been taught to see things systemically. White women also haven't been taught to look at all of their parts in that system. So it's like, yes, white women, like all of us, really, it doesn't matter your identity. We're all, you know, I hate the word victims, but yeah, we're all, we're all traumatized in some way, shape or form by the structural systems in our society, by patriarchy and capitalism and all of those things that, you know, sometimes make some of our eyes like roll back in our heads like, oh, God, we're going to talk about patriarchy now. Um, But it's true, you know. So when it comes to especially white women, yes, you definitely targets of all of those things, but also active participators in those things at the same time. And one, it's really hard to face that within yourself and me included, because I'm mixed race. You know, it's like I got one shoe in, in each world here. And to understand how those two things can exist at the same time, you can be oppressive and oppressed at the same time. And it's like really big stuff. We we sit down and go, well, I just want to accept my fupa. Like, why? How's the, racism and patriarchy? What's happening? Um, but it is all connected. Yeah. Where did the journey start to break those all that learning apart? Because we all grew up in a culture that's like as I have a dear friend, she's been on the show, is a fan of saying, you know, I grew up in a in a homophobic culture, you know, society. Mm-hmm. So we've all been raised and steeped in this. When did yours start breaking down and start Ooh. teasing that out? I want to say it, it was little bits and pieces, you know. So I saw even looking back to high school. And college, you know, women's studies stuff. And I went to a all girls Catholic high school, which is random. But the nuns were a bunch of like old kind of hippie nuns that were feminist and would take us to protests and do social justice and stuff. So even back then, I saw some of it. But it's like, oh man, it's deep. I would say light bulbs really started going off for me. Probably when I made the transition into sex ed, which has now been twenty four fourteen years, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it was like two, twenty. I got laid off in two thousand eight nine, something like that, and it was like next year or so after that. But I'm still teasing it out. I'm still 
It's so deep. It's so deep. And, and a lot of folks are like, they hear these conversations and they're like, in one respect, I get it. I see some of these systems and I can see how like, it's just a th- game of dominoes everywhere, you know? But at the same time, there's that resistance because it's like, yeah, I see it. But like, guys, they have to be in every conversation. They have to be about everything. God, and it's depressing. Do I have to think about it in everything? And even for me, who people are like, you really, you know what's going on. I'm still unpacking it. I'm still unpacking it. It's so folks that think like, Oh, I need to like get it. I just don't get it, get it. It's okay. Like it takes a long time to get it. Maybe we'll never completely get it, get it. And that's part of the process. Yes, it is. And while you're going through this, on top of it, you were raising a kid. So two. Two. Um, two. Yeah. So how did that as your light bulbs are going off, how did that change your parenting and the conversations you were having with them? Ooh, you know, it's like, I look back on my parenting and so my kids now are 27 and 21 and, you know, we went through our times where it's like, you're the worst mom ever. And I I was just like, I'm I'm playing the long game here. I'm going to hold out. I know one day you're going to take that back. And they've taken it back. They're like, you're actually a really good mom. Okay, cool. Yeah, you're cool. But I look back and I'm like, oh, there's so many things I fucked up, you know, which is, I think, the nature of of the game. (laughs) Nobody's a perfect parent. But I want to say overall, you know, at times I, I fucked up and wasn't doing my best or not. To me, not treating children or my children or raising children like I have some sort of ultimate uh authority or power over their like core being and what they want to do like it's a lot of conversations it's it's not a lot of because i said so it's like hey you know let's say i'm punishing or you know there's a consequence for something and it's it's funny cuz now i look at like bdsm negotiation and raising kids almost the same it's really fascinating but it's like you know ruling with that parental iron fist that we were taught because i said so uh, you're grounded if you don't it just teaches kids to fear and it's like i'm not teaching you anything unless i have a conversation with you about okay like you know, I don't want to be some big, some ogre, but there has to be a consequence for this thing. And this is exactly why. And let's have a conversation about it. And I would rather make sure that you understand why this thing's like was so fucked up and you could have died than just punishing you over it. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so also, as I'm going through my journey, unpacking like the systemic big picture things, that's always been really important to talk to my kids about. And th- sure, there's ways to keep things age appropriate and, and yada, yada. But I think they've grown up into pretty kick-ass kids who really can see the world for, you know, it, on that that macro level, like this is what's really going on here, which awesome. And you, you talk about keeping it age appropriate. And such. So right now there's this massive moral panic about 
drag and trans kids and fucking using pronoun, you know, the anti-pronoun law that they're trying to pass in Arkansas and all this bullshit. So, as a parent and as somebody who has been very visible in the sex ed and BDSM community, how did you explain that transition to your kids? The transition to sex ed? Mm -hmm. Um, Slowly and age appropriately. You know, my oldest is six years older than my youngest. So, of course, she knew more, I guess. At first, with my younger one, it was like, yes, I teach about sex ed. But again, like age appropriate. So what is that? It's about relation, having healthy relationships. And sure, it's about sex, which I mean, she knew sex existed. But in her mind, it was more like fallopian tubes and, you know, that sort of thing. And again, there's no right age to be age appropriate, just like developmentally, you know, and I would see in my own kids, they might come home talking about relationships or talking about, I don't know, random polyamory, let's say, you know, like, oh my God, I learned, I learned that somebody, you know, has a husband, but they also have a girlfriend. Well, you know, and we just talk about it like, okay, and not in a like, yeah, so they're having threesomes. No, talking about, you know, the human, the communication, the relationship, you know, it's it's really easy to be age appropriate. And I don't I can't comprehend sometimes. I mean, I can comprehend. I'm not going to say that. I, I get it. I've been that parent. My first sex talk was like people think like oh it's easy for you <gasps> it was so difficult i wasn't a sex educator yet and i knew my child was going to have their first sex ed classes and like it's like fifth grade you know mm-hmm. and i'm like i know it's going to be a bunch of bullshit so i need to really sit down and let them know what's going on you know And I got some of those like parenting books about like, oh, this is how a baby and blah, 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 blah. And my oldest one was a little kind of sheltered. You know what I mean? And she was like, cool. And I I practically had like a just, I was a nervous wreck. I was a nervous wreck. And then, and you know, I I don't think anyone is listening right now with little ears listening, but if they are like, don't first of all, and especially now, because I was like, okay, let me explain to you about sex. And then I was like, oh my God. Oh, also there's no Santa Claus. I'm like, you can't know. (laughs) Ripped off the bandaid all at once. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, that was an interesting conversation. We look back on it and laugh, but it's it's hard being a parent. I get it. It was weird. It it took practice. I mean, now and even, you know, in the years after that, it got a lot easier. But that those first conversations were. Ugh, I didn't know what to say. It, it is a learning process. I don't have my own kids, but I'm an auntie to several. Mm-hmm. And Auntie Vice is actually a family name. I was Aww. given I was given that when my besties adopted their son when he was three and they wanted somebody to do those talks too. And the t- I, I remember the first time he was 10 and he asked me what teabagging was. Oh. And I didn't know all the parent tricks of like, who'd you hear it from? How are you using it? I did not know that it was a thing in video games and that's why he knew about it. So oh. I'm, I'm sitting there go, 
Well, it happens with something, somebody very special. And in my back of my head, I'm like, no, it happens with a stripper you pick up at a bar. Like, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's been it so is, refined. It's, yeah. It's so hard to know. Like, I did the same thing where it's like too much information. Like, you know, watch Smegma. That was a whole conversation. It was like, well, the foreskin off the peanuts. And they were like, ew, 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 stop. <laughs> I was like, but you ask, you know, so it's like kind of gauging that, like, how, how much do you want me to tell you here? And that was an interesting dance. But I, I then learned to, like, take cues from them. Or to even come out and say, like, do you want the long and detailed answer where I'm going to say a lot of body part words that are going to make you feel weird? Or you just want the general cliff notes? You know? Yeah. No, that's great. Now, on the other end of it, I find nobody prepared me for sex after 40. And it's different. Mm. So, so you, you've passed the 40 mark. You've passed the 50 mark, which I am eagerly awaiting in a year. <laughs> so what in the last decade or so, what have you... How has sex changed for you? Oh, gosh. You know, I have kind of come to terms with like my own identity and sexuality. Like it was a, a thing to unravel. Like I have my kink self and, and, you know, all these different parts of my, I don't know, erotic self. And that I've realized like, yes, I like sex, but I'm not a super like sexual person. I am somewhere on like the ACE spectrum even though I'm not like sex averse or anything, but it's like, for me, if nobody reminds me about sex, I could just forget about it. Like, Oh, that thing, you know? Um, and to me, kink and sex are two very enjoyable things, but they exist separately. Like they're not one and the same to me. So that just unpacking all of that, like what, what cues it, is my brain and body telling me about sex and yada, yada. Um, I've also, you know, I've had a bunch of health problems and sensory issues and like neurodivergency that I've been unraveling over the last decade too. So that has a lot to do with all of this. And it's like, yeah, I've, I'm perimenopause, you know, age. Of course I have some of the physical, like the dryness and the, it's like, Oh God, what's happening. But my orgasms are different. And I don't know if I like that. And I don't know why. I don't know. Like, I have some nerve issues going on. I don't like th they become kind of duds. Like, the, I work and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's like, and I'm like, it's, it's over. <laughs> that's, that's been a little weird. But I also am, am embracing more that sex is a lot more than just the orgasm. You know, it's like, who's to say my, quote, non-sexual kink isn't also sex, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. I've been expanding my mind as to what does all this stuff mean anyway? And what normal are we upholding ourselves to? I think we're all fucked up in that respect. Yeah, I, I've never met somebody normal when it comes to sex. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, the, uh, so you brought up a couple of things I want to kind of unpack a little bit here. You bring up neurodivergence, and we're finally, mm -hmm. start, like, five years ago even, people weren't talking about how that impacts relationships and sex. So for you, how are you seeing it impact your relationship style as well as your your sex life? 
other than just forgetting to have sex unless somebody reminds you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And I'm st- this is something I am still actively unpacking. One, I don't get the um like social cues of like I'm hinting like just be direct with me like it is I feel like it's sex time do you feel like it's sex time do you want to touch me there I know that's very unsexy but I can't like the nonverbal like hint hint flirt flirt tonight's the na- I don't I don't know what any of that means and physically so like my neurodivergence manifests uh as I have ADHD and I have something that is nonverbal learning disability that looks a lot like autism in some respects. And who knows? Like with di- no diagnosis is fit. You know what I mean? Exactly. So who the hell knows what it is? So I manifest a lot like autism with a lot of um, spatial awareness issues. And I have a lot of sensory issues as well. So it's like, that oftentimes is seen along with uh, hypermobility and uh, connective tissue issues. So I'm starting to realize like, oh, why does these certain positions hurt? Because my hips are completely like coming out of their. It's like, that's why I can't move my legs after. That's why things hurt. That's why. So that's been an interesting realization. Also, I often wonder if my orgasms are like sometimes too intense because like I like sex, but it's exhausting having like the act of having an orgasm, all of my muscles all over my whole body get so tight. And it is such like a, I guess it's it not even a physical, I think it's like a nerve thing and I'm not exactly sure what it is. I I've realized lately, like, the act of having an orgasm is fucking exhausting. And sometimes it's like that cancels out the benefits. So that factors into my choice to have sex or the the mo- if I'm in the mood. Because I know it's like I have to have the energy to like in like or it's weird it's hard to describe it's like orgasms are the most wonderful thing and they're the most horrendously awful thing all at the same time <laughs> it's really, it's really weird so yeah i mean that's affected of course relationships because it's like yeah it's not just like oh my god this is going to be so relaxing for me it's like okay this is also work I'll have a benefit in the end, but it's also work. And then my hips will come out of joints and things will hurt. And I'll probably get some intense, you know, Charlie horses and weird parts of my body that you don't think should have Charlie horses. Like it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And a lot of folks who have those kind of connective tissue or um, the autoimmune diseases that go with it, like Ehlers-Danlos, it can be really difficult. And I know you've been, Seeking help, figuring out what what's going on. How mm-hmm. have doctors been talking about sex and things like vaginal dryness? Not at all. Not at Nothing. all. Nothing. Not at all. Nope. 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 Not not a peep. Not a word. I mean, luckily, like I don't have questions because, like, you know, this is my realm. But it's it's funny to me that nobody brings it up and. I, uh, a couple years ago, 
had gone into, you know, get my routine blood test. And the doc, my doctor, who is a black woman who I love, but it's still like she's a product of the medical system also at the same time, you know? Um, so it's that like really good and really eh, all existing together, you know? And uh, she's like, your hormones. Oh my God. They're all out of whack What the, Oh, look, you're it's menopause that time. And that was it. Like that was it. And now that I'm looking at my whole medical history, I think, and and shortly thereafter, my periods got all like I have a period maybe once every three or four months, and I was like, "This is it." The my test said my hormones were funky. Haven't had a period since. Like she knew she's, you know, the fortune teller. No, just comes back every once in a while, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think this is menopause. I think this is some kind of hormonal imbalance from all the other stuff that's been happening because it's we're going on three years of this, you know, and it's coinciding with a lot of my other symptoms. And it was just like hormones wacky. You're that age, ah, hot flashes, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and I find when you have a a rare disease because I have uh, a very aggressive form of scleroderma and lupus together. Mm, okay. Um, and it took eight years to get diagnosed, and everything came back to it's your vagina, right? They wow. they they wanted like when I was having coughing fits and i i knew there was something wrong with my lungs they insisted on a mammogram uh-huh. before they did a, a ct scan of my chest because it, it's got to be those lady parts oh uh, god you know it's your tits causing you to cough constantly uh, oh my god so how is your experience because i know you've had a, a lot of challenges finding any help in getting a diagnosis uh-huh. so, yeah has it all been just, well, you're that age and must be the. Absolutely. I have been complaining literally since I was a child. I am 52. You know, and I'm thinking back to is probably like seven, eight years old where I started aggressively like complaining because I realized like the things I'm experiencing in my body now that I talk to other people and I can, you know, my frontal lobe works a lot better than it did when I was a toddler, I'm realizing I'm not like ever. This is not normal. And so I started complaining and it it went from, oh, it's growing pains. Like, yeah, your bones are going to hurt. And, so, and I'd be like, I don't think this is. No, no, no. Okay, fine. So uh, I eventually would just believe them. Like, I must, everybody feels this. I must just not be able to take it. I must be overly sensitive, da, 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 da. And uh, I had my first, like, kind of serious go to the emergency room, probably a, like, gallbladder attack. Not sure it like resolved itself. Uh, and that was my first really big disaster. And it was like you said, I, I come in, I am doubled over in pain. And I don't go to the doctor. You know, it's like you know, mixed race woman and the white side of my family, they are um like Hungarian. They're like, don't go to the doctor. What What do you mean you're sick? It's a bone sticking out of your arm. Get back to work. You know, so like we don't do doctors. <laughs> so um, I, uh, 
came in, doubled over in pain and, you know, something's wrong. Just, they treated me horribly. They insisted, they're like, are you pregnant? When was, you know, are you having unprotected sex? When was the last time you shot up? And when was that? And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I, so just horrible, horrible people. I'm there for a couple hours in the worst pain. Like I had natural childbirth twice and this rivaled that. Like it's like nothing I'd ever felt before. And, uh, they're like, we have to do a gynecological exam. And I was like, why? Like, well, I know my body, it's up upper quadrants okay. of my abdominal area, not even close. Well, you know, are you sure? They asked me 18 times, are you sure you're not pregnant? Are you sure you're not pregnant? Are you sure you're not pregnant? When did you do drugs? Blah, blah. So they, you know, I argued with them as much as I could and they did the exam. And then they're like, nope, everything looks fine. Then they go to touch my abdomen. They poke and I go, ah, they're like, oh, that's your gallbladder. I'm like, you think we could have done that two hours ago? Like, you know, so it's been that for forever. And it's always, oh, you're getting older. You're getting arthritis now. Oh, it's probably perimenopause. Oh, you need to lose weight. Oh, maybe it's anxiety. Oh, maybe it's blah, blah, blah. Oh. It's always an excuse. And uh, it's it's not. Doctors, it's not. If you're listening, it's not. So, yeah. yeah. As I've learned, you can lead a doctor towards a diagnosis, but you can't make them think. Yes. Or you can't make them diagnose you, which is what I'm going through. I finally have doctors that believe me because I've had a few <laughs> tests that show something really funky. Like all the tests, it's like, tests say you're fine. You must be fine. You have anxiety. And then I get this test back and they're like, you have a thing only 400 people have been documented in the world to have. Oh, my God. And I was like, I told your asses this. And uh, so finally, I got my doctor to the point of a couple of doctors. They're like, oh, my God. Yes, you have, you know, connective tissue, something, maybe EDS or mixed connective tissue disease. Yes, it seems like you have uh um, MCAS, which is mast cell activity. It seems like you have the, blah, 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 blah. but I can't diagnose you. Why? Why can you know? It's, it's not my realm. It's not my job. You have to see the rheumatologist. The only rheumatologist on my plan is a like, whoo, he's a piece of work. No, all the doctors are like, yeah, you have this, but I can't diagnose you. And even if I could, there's no place where you can go. You know, my one doctor's like, I have all these patients coming in with the same thing and I can't help them. And I'm like his therapy session like oh, my patients what have you found do you have any resources can you give me some links i feel so bad for my patients and i was like hi me 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 i'm here like, like i have my copay back like yeah, this is what i charge my consult yeah yeah it's just it is un. it's like a it's like a a weird satirical dark comedy you know like what's happening just all of the, the my whole medical experience it's and you you have so many intersecting identities then that they want to blame part of it on. Well, it's it's because you're a woman. It's because you're bigger bodied. It's because you're queer, whatever, to not do anything. Right, right. And it's like, you know, the trap I see, like so many places in our identity that, you know, us as women experience, we can never be the thing. 
you know, it's like, you're either like, you're too slutty. You're too conservative. You're too this. You're too, it was like, you're too fat. Then I lost weight. You're too skinny. That, you know, that I was really yeah. active. Oh, you're, you're too active. You're doing the wrong exercises. And then it's like, then I stop. Well, you're not exercising. Well, there is no right answer. And the worst is when those test results come back and they're like, oh, you're normal. And you feel like you're drowning. And they're just like, hey, looks good out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think there's anything that can be described for somebody who hasn't been chronically ill without a diagnosis to understand the depth of that anguish when something comes back fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's awful. And, you know, now that I've had a couple things come back, it's now they've changed their tune. They're like, look, we believe you. We know you're going through these symptoms. Like, don't think, don't think we're not listening. We believe, and they're really like, you know, sincere, but they're like, well, we can't help you because we don't know what the fuck is happening. You know, and I did have one doctor, the first doctor, this is like in 2018, that I thought was listening to me. And I was like, I came home and I was like, oh, I love this doctor. She believes me. She, she didn't tell me I was too fat. She didn't tell me I had anxiety. Like, this is great. I, I went for a couple of years loving the hell out of her until I moved out of state and I had to get my medical records. And I, they were like, include the doctor's notes. Oh, yes. Yes. include. Why to my face was she nice? But in the notes, it was like, patient is overweight, has anxiety, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, mother fuck. Like, oh, Jesus. like, yeah. <laughs> I have no trust. No. <laughs> I have no trust. Yeah. Have you found any tricks for getting doctors to listen? Because I'm continually paying for those too, but not really. Like, you know, have an obscure test come back weird. Yeah. Um, it and I think that, you know, a lot of folks say, and I've started doing this, which does help in some respects, is I will make uh like a one-sheeter when mm -hmm. I go to the doctor. And I I understand, you know, I'm I'm really trying to put myself in look through the doctor's eyes of what their needs are and how as patients we can come in and maybe we describe things in a way that like isn't on par with like what they read in the medical textbook. So try to be that like liaison between the different languages and the needs, right? So I have this sheet where it's like, I will have uh, three questions, you know, and my, my three questions and I'll have some more prepared just in case they're talky, but I'll keep it to the three most important. My objective for the visit, here are a list of my new symptoms. Here are a list of like the tests I've had, you know, the things that you would think would be abnormal that came back normal, the things that are abnormal. And then like, you know, all the way at the bottom, if, you know, I, when I give them the symptoms, I will give them like, these are the symptoms that pertain to your specialty. Mm -hmm. And then at the bottom, I'll have like, here are all of my other symptoms I'm seeing other specialists with. And, and I'll come in and they'll be like, oh my God, I freaking love your sheets. They are great, you know, but they're not, yeah, they're cutting to the chase when we get to the appointments that are having the small talk or him trying to explain something to me that I'm like, basic, I know this, let's move on but it's still not helping. And I think some folks, and this might be my neurodivergence, like I'm really direct and in touch with what's happening. And I've experienced like this in therapy. I'll go to therapists and they'll be like, 
wow, like, I think you're fine. I'm like, no, I'm just insightful. I'm not fine. Help me. (laughs) (laughs) I've had so many therapists break up with me because they're like, you don't need me. I'm like, yes, I do. But the doctors are sort of the same way. I think they're interpreting that as anxiety because I'm like, look, here's the symptoms. Here's a this. Here's a it's probably not that because I had that test. And I just want to get to the bottom of it. That's not anxiety. That's being thorough and direct and efficient with our conversation. And I don't think they know what to make of that. I think so many of them are trained to think patients and especially female body patients are just too stupid to understand any of that. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah. I, I I won't see male doctors specifically because of that. I mean, not that the women doctors are that much better because they're from the same system, but mm-hmm. so listening to you and I, we've had on other people that, that you and I know in common, um, Liz mm-hmm. Powell and yeah. uh, Midge Ebon and stuff. And um, one of the things that has come up in a lot of the interviews is really good sex ed- educators who can be direct and to the point are also neurodivergent. Do you think there's yeah. a connection with neurodivergence and being in touch with your sexuality in the way the rest of us aren't? I think so. I, yeah. I think so. And I'm I'm trying to like, I'm still unraveling why. The biggest thing that got me into sex ed, and this is before I realized I was neurodivergent, like the only re- reason I realized I was neurodivergent was after I had kids. My oldest child is like the carbon copy of me health-wise and neurodivergence-wise, but even more extreme. And so they were like, Mom, something's not, you know, and then they're like, what about you? Because <laughs> I'm like, I thought she was like every other kid. Every other kid's not like, they're like, no, <laughs> it's like, oh, but I look back and one of the reasons I got into sex ed is because I couldn't make sense of my identity, of the feelings I was supposed to be feeling, but I wasn't of the motions I was supposed to be going through, of the flirting that was supposed to be happening. Like none of that resonates with me at all. And to me, it was a puzzle to be solved. And again, like I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, that was a big part of my interest was figuring this out for me. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, and also the connection to like the big picture, Ev- everything, my identity, my, you know, it's like uh, all measures up against what society tells us we're supposed to be. And society tells us we're supposed to be this stuff because of the system. Like, I mean, without getting to, I know there's some people listening, they're going to be like, oh God, eyes rolling in my heads. We're going to talk about patriarchy again, but it's true. You know, if you look at our system of like capitalism, right, it, it thrives on exploitation. And how do we get people to comply and to not just, you know, think about if we all realized our full authentic selves and we realized that we had choices in what we were doing and we realized we could say all this shit is not real. It's made up. So fuck it all. Right. Really, that would lead to the collapse of capitalism. It would lead to the collapse of lots of things that 
powerful people don't want to collapse. So one of the ways they keep us in control is to keep us ashamed and ashamed about the parts of our identity that are most precious to us, our gender, our sexuality. You know, that's that's all so clear now. And I don't know if it's the neurodivergence because I tend to be more of like a logical systems thinker of like, if this, then that, how does that feed into that? If that happens, then this happens. And, but yeah, yeah. So I got into it because I was parsing that all out for myself. Cause I think I see in a lot of neurodivergent people, they see through the sham of the system and for decades of my life. I didn't realize that's what I was seeing and why everything felt like it didn't fit. Once I realized like, oh, it's the system that's fucked up. I was like, oh my God, it all makes sense. How long, why did it take me so long to figure that out? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, shit, I don't have to put up with this anymore. Right. Yeah. There's there's ways to work around it or excise it out, at least from parts of your life. So you have moments where you can be OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If our listeners want to find you, if they want to read your stuff, watch you, hear you, where do they go? Go to easiest place. Sunny has everything or I'm on social media. Just at tag sunny as you Megatron. I do have, have a free thing for y'all. I have my uh, kink negotiation mini workbook. Go get it. If you go anywhere on my social media, I have like one of those, like all links pages It's there pops up. It's everywhere. Just like hunt around with us, like treasure hunt. You don't have to hunt much. You'll find it. Uh, and also American sex podcast. Open Deeply podcast, or if you got a Showtime subscription, pull up Sex with Sunny Megatron on demand. Go ahead and watch it. And uh, yeah, I, I got stuff going on all the time. So if you follow my socials, you'll see what I got popping up. And we'll have all of those links on, on the show notes for our listeners. Thank you for being on the show. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe. And thank you for being here, Sunny. Thank you so much. I love this conversation. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is your host, Auntie Vice. Are you curious on finding other podcasts with a similar sense of humor and topic? You can check out To All the Men I've Tolerated Before, which is one of the most awesome titles out there for a podcast. It covers issues of misogyny, everyday misogyny, dating, period stigma, and all the fun things the rest of us have to deal with when interacting with men. Set your players to check out for all the men I tolerated before. And thanks for listening to Fat Chicks on Top. And now, a moment of gratitude. Oh my goodness. I think just what I have right now. You know, it's I, I a lot of us at any given point in our lives can be like, and I can, I can be the same. Like, oh, I want to, I want to move overseas and buy a house. So I don't have enough money. And, oh, how am I going to do this? I'm having this problem and that problem. And I don't have, and I don't have, and I don't have. And it's like, hi, look at all the things I do have. It may not be perfect, but either is anything. <laughs> so I just 
you know, for, for everything I have right now, for, for the connection I have to people, for the roof over my head, for the, you know, family that's in my life, all of those little things that I take for granted and I complain because I don't have the one thing that I want right now. Yeah. I'm thankful for it all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.